The following is a message by Dr. Stephen Baugh of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, please visit us online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. Pray, O Lord, as we meditate upon your word this morning, we ask your blessing upon it, upon our exercise that may be glorifying to you and edifying to us through your spirit. We pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Please be seated. We are continuing our series on either the Exodus or the Exodus motif. Therefore, we will be reading from Hebrews. Uh, what I would like to do is read a new translation called the Baugh English Standard Translation, the best translation. Uh, and the reason is um, my interpretation, particularly of verses Hebrews 9, 16 through 17. But I will be, uh, if you want to follow along, we'll be reading Hebrews 9, 11 through 22, a large section of Hebrews 9 relating to the inauguration of the Mosaic Covenant after the Exodus. You're now the word of the Lord. But when Christ appeared as a high priest to the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the most holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of a heifer sanctifies for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And it is for this reason that he is the mediator of the new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the former covenant. For where a covenant is involved, it is necessary to offer up the death of the covenant maker, as it were. For a covenant is valid on the basis of dead sacrificial bodies, since it is not in force as long as the covenant maker lives. Therefore, not even the former covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. This ends the reading of God's word. This is a long section of scripture. And we're going to be looking at, in particular, the relation of this covenant making with the Exodus uh, that we will uh, begin really by dealing with the, 
problem in the text about uh, sprinkling the book, and then look at the main flow of this passage, and then talk about the Exodus and particularly the New Covenant Exodus. Um, as you heard in that text, the author of the Hebrews focuses on sprinkling the book and the people with the covenant blood at the inauguration of the Mosaic Covenant. The problem is we have no text of scripture that tells us that Moses sprinkled the book. The Exodus 24 passage that he refers to and quotes, because he says, this is the blood of the covenant that God has commanded you. He's quoting Exodus 24 at the inauguration of the Mosaic Covenant initially, uh, before they made the golden calf, of course. But there it doesn't say that uh, Moses sprinkled the book. It just says he sprinkled the people. So we have this problem of why is the author referring to sprinkling the book when the text of scripture he's referring to doesn't say that? Well, when you work with Hebrews long enough, you know that he is a very careful uh, model exegete. And he deals with Old Testament texts uh, clearly and closely. And he brings out implications of texts repeatedly by good and necessary inference. Uh, and I believe that's what he's doing here. He's not referring to something, you know, supernaturally given to him in prophecy, let's say. He doesn't have extraordinary knowledge of that event, uh, you know, well over a thousand years previous to him. He uh, instead is bringing out an implication that the book had to be sprinkled because one thing that, that, uh, Mo, that Moses does relate in Exodus 24 is that he sprinkled the altar. Sprinkling the altar is normal with the blood of sacrifices. That is, uh, that's how you offer a sacrifice often as you sprinkle the blood. Leviticus talks about that, etc. On the altar, you're purifying it and also that represents the presence of the Lord. And so I think that's all he's doing is because Moses sprinkled the altar, there is this assumption that the book would have been placed there because it represents the Lord's word. And it's a very important a point that he's bringing out that the Lord is accepting the sprinkling. It's a very uh, interesting point for him to make here, and we'll talk about that later. But I simply think it's a deduction. Now, furthermore, he talks about, as he goes on, let's go ahead and read that passage. Um, this is looking at verse 19, so Hebrews 9, 19. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people. You can see that's brought forward, that's the focus, and saying this is the blood of the covenant. Now verse 21, and in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Now that also, that latter part, the tent and the vessels used in worship, that latter part is not in Exodus 24 at all. But he signals that he's not referring to that event exactly. He's extending it out to say in the same way. This is how he signals. Likewise, later, the tent and vessels of worship were also sprinkled. That is reported in Leviticus. 
So that is reported elsewhere in the Old Testament that that's how they purified those elements. And that's all he's saying. And the point is, the sacrifice that Moses made in Exodus 24 to consecrate and inaugurate the new covenant, consecrate the people, inaugurate the new covenant, really is the like pinnacle of the sacrificial experience of Israel. And all of the uh, sacrifices that took place after that that related particularly to atonement could be viewed as covenant renewal of that event. And Hebrews is bringing out that that really is the place where the main point of sacrifice is made, and it is covenant. It is to bind together God with his people. That's how he uh, interprets this and where he wants to take it. Now, when we look at the flow of this text, and here is why I read, uh, you know, a translation that I adapted. I adapted the English Standard Version. Um, because I, I just uh, think, along with other translations, and certainly many interpreters, that when you look at Hebrews 9.16, you really don't want to render that as will or last will and testament. It's the same word rendered covenant, and it can mean last will and testament, but he doesn't mean that here. He means covenant. So, for example, the ESV says, verse 15, therefore he's the mediator of a new covenant, verse 16, for where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. Verse 17, for a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. The problem with those renderings is he doesn't say, for example, at death. That's clearly a easy for him to say in Hebrews, and he does say that elsewhere. But what he says is over corpses. It's not the singular word death, it's corpses, dead bodies, and it refers to sacrifices. Um, there are other words here that really are better translated relating to the covenant-making sacrifice. And in particular, a last will and testament is in force before the death of the, of the last will and testament maker. I have a last will and testament right now, and it is in force. It is legally valid, because that's the word in force. That's what that means here, by the way, legally valid. And back then, once you had it signed by seven witnesses and registered in the public, uh, there was a records office, basically, in, in all Greek and Roman cities back when Hebrews is writing this, once it is registered, the will is in force. So much so that if you change your will and register another one, both of them are still in force, even if they're contradictory. You have to explicitly withdraw your previous will. You, it doesn't replace your previous will. It is in force. It's legally valid. So he, here is where you know, the point goes. When you look at verse 15, to see his point, jump to verse 18. Just skip over, excuse me, skip over this, uh, you know, disputed understanding of 16 and 17. Let's go ahead and just read that. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. 
Now verse 18. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. You see, he's talking about how Christ's death inaugurates the new covenant. He illustrates that with the necessity of the covenant maker symbolically dying in the, in, uh, as a substitution through the sacrifices. When the sacrifices die, they are symbolically the death of the one who offers the sacrifices. That's all he's saying. And when you make a covenant, you have to seal it with blood of sacrifice because you are offering yourself your very person in exchange for breaking that covenant. When you break that covenant, you are saying, if I break this covenant, may I die like these sacrifices. This is, this is really easy to show from the Old Testament. If we had time, I would do that. But here, that's all Hebrews is saying to us. Because he wants to prove to you, once again, through his letter, that the sacrifice of Christ is what makes all of this make sense. You see, we look at the Old Testament covenant making, and he shows that this is, with Moses, a genuine inauguration of a covenant and it integrates into it the covenant of grace elements, namely focusing on forgiveness through the blood of a substitute. And so the Mosaic covenant is genuinely an administration of the covenant of grace, as we say in Reformed theology. And you see that where he takes us. This blood of the covenant, he says, sprinkling the people to purify them, verse 22. Under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. The people are purified. And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. So there was a shedding of blood of the sacrifices. And the people, by faith, in that sacrificial system, you view it as a sacrament, connected to the blood of Christ in fulfillment experience the forgiveness of their sins. Now that being the case, Hebrews wants to show you that all of that was laying down a pattern by analogy to the real sacrifice to come, and you obviously know this, the sacrifice of Christ. Because here's the point. The exodus, as it occurred in the Old Testament was not itself the event that God was leading people to. It signaled deliverance from captivity, but he didn't want to just deliver them and free them and send them off to be on their own. He delivered them to wed them to himself. He delivered the Old Covenant people that he may bind them to himself by covenant, a covenant of life and forgiveness and purification from their sins. That's where he was taking them out of slavery to himself. Let my people go. They are my people. I have claim on them and I will have them, is what the Lord said. In Jesus Christ, that's all fulfilled now. Because he's the mediator of a better covenant. 
the one that provides the basis for all the forgiveness of sins from Adam and Eve on. The only way to have access to God is through the blood of Christ. And this new covenant we're dealing with is no longer a type. You see, the types, all multiple types are needed to to show us the nature of the one act of Christ and the one mediator we have in him because he takes all of those various signs and symbols and brings them together in himself and provides the basis for them initially, originally, and the fulfillment of them historically in his person. That's why he is the mediator of the new covenant to provide the forgiveness and the redemption of transgressions committed under the first covenant. Now, as a result of this, he continues to hammer and beat us on the head with this gracious message that in Christ Jesus, you have certainty. You have absolute certainty. Because the blood that's required for your redemption is not your own. And it's not the blood of a bull or a goat that can't, that can't give you the forgiveness of your sins. And this is where he takes us. Verse 23. Thus it is necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into the most holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place, most holy place every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages, to put away sin by sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly await him. Brothers and sisters, how can we not serve him? And that's where verse 14 took us. You know, verse 14 is the summary of biblical religion. You have a Trinitarian redemption, and it ends up with our grateful service to the living God. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God in gratitude? So let us do. Let's pray. Lord, help us in our deliberations upon your word to always seek a way to serve you. Grant, O Lord, that we may glorify our Savior, our only Redeemer and Mediator of the new covenant. We pray your blessing and grace be upon us that we may live before you in light of these truths. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Copyright 2013, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.